Too much of our politics are spent arguing over the same old issues, which doesn't help anyone, and leaves us all screaming, or typing, into the void. So in this episode, I want to talk about exactly what's in the Biden spending bill and which items in the bill will benefit the 98.2% of us that don't make over $400,000 a year. Here we go. weekend I was outside cutting the lawn and listening to the Pod Save America podcast and they were discussing the division in Washington over the spending bill but remarking on how so many of the items within the bill are hugely popular with the vast majority of Americans even conservatives and they said we all need to do a better job of promoting and describing the substance of these bills instead of focusing on the numbers and the politics so this video is an answer to that challenge so I want to focus on the major areas of this bill, the spending bill. For now, let's forget the cost. Everybody's talking about cost. The media's talking about cost. You know, the bills are named after the cost. Forget the cost. We're going to talk about the main items in this bill. I will get to funding at the end, I promise, and cost. But too much coverage has been on numbers and not on, you know, the actual benefits being extended to the middle class and lower class, i.e. anyone watching this video. So the four categories are child care and education, medical slash Medicare, climate measures, and taxes. We're going to look at those first. So let's start from the beginning. I'm talking about the proposed $3.5 trillion budget bill that has been proposed, at least the framework, in Congress. I call it the $3.5 trillion bill because that's what everyone calls it, but it's actually a budget appropriations bill, and from here on out, I'm going to be calling it the Build Back Better Act because that's the name of the bill, the BBBA, Triple BA, whatever you want to call it. One thing I'd like you to keep in mind as we get into this is personal value. Think about the items that I'm going to be presenting and what they might mean to you and what those changes might mean to you and how they might affect your life or the lives of the people around you that you love and care for. That's the number one focus of this video. What is this bill trying to give us? Ideas first, money later. Now, as I said, the Build Back Better Act has a few key categories, and I'm going to start with arguably the area with the most direct impact, and that's child care and education. So much of this bill is focused on saving working families money, especially in the areas that are the most costly. As part of the American Rescue Plan, which was Joe Biden's COVID-19 relief bill that was passed earlier this year, the administration introduced something called the Child Tax Credit that gives households with children several hundred dollars per month. The Build Back Better Act this year, or if this passes, would expand that child tax credit through the year 2025, just a little bit on the child tax credit. According to the Urban Institute, just from the credit this year, child poverty in America will be cut in half from 13.7% down to 6.5%. And in California, for example, continuing the benefit would cut child poverty there from 20% to 13.7%. 
and it would bring more than 600,000 children in just that state above the poverty line that are currently below the poverty line, also according to the Urban Institute. Something else this bill wants to do is to give us universal pre-K for three- and four-year-olds. Just that alone should save the average family, with a three- or four-year-old, about $3,000 per year. Per year, which is a lot of money. Take the child tax credit, plus that $3,000 a year, we're approaching $5,000 in savings for your average family with one child, just from the two provisions I've listed out already. Under Biden's proposal, low- and middle-income households would pay no more than 7% of their total income on child care for kids younger than age 5, which means not only is this bill saying, hey, we're going to give you, you know, universal pre-K for 3- and 4-year-olds, also, there is a hard cap on the money that you will spend on your child care. So if your child care is expensive, it can only be so expensive. It is a guarantee in this bill that you cannot spend more than 7% of your income on child care if you do not want to, which is huge. Like I said, they're not saying they're going to They're not just saying that they're going to reduce the cost. They're not just saying that they're going to give you a program. They're saying, we are capping the money that you will spend legally. You are covered, which is, again, it's big. It's a guarantee. The average yearly price of center-based infant child care in the state of California, again, I'm just using this because it's on the extreme. The cost of child care there per year is more than the average annual tuition and fees of a public college or university and that's according to the Child Care Aware Advocacy Organization there. So some families are spending more on one year of child care than they would on sending their kid to college. People think they have to save up to send their kid to college. No, you need to save up to have the kid. That's where we're at right now. So these are what the programs are looking to kind of alleviate, uh, you know, relieve young parents of those burdens early on. Another issue that Biden wants to address in child care is the salary paid to the child care professionals. The median hourly pay for child care right now is about $12 an hour, and Joe Biden wants to raise that to $15. The child care industry is understaffed, and currently, child care workers are leaving their jobs because other industries are paying far more money. So why would they stick around there for $12 an hour or less when they could go make $15, $20, $22 in retail or in the food industry or at any other job? You know, they're doing the best that they can for themselves. They move out of the industry, but that hurts parents. That hurts availability. So if we pay them more to stay, child care should also improve. Another provision of the education portion of this bill is free two-year tuition for colleges. In a speech today, Joe Biden mentioned that we rank 33 out of 34 advanced economies in the world in people who earn a post-secondary degree. We're almost last in secondary education. So this is to fix that. We're adding two years to the front, two years to the back. Universal pre-K for three and four-year-olds, two years of college after high school. So in total, the four free years of public education. That's big. That's adding 25% education to public education for better educated kids, better educated workforce, more skilled positions, higher salaries, better economy. The bill also is going to increase the funding for the Pell Grant, which is one of the federal funding options that students have to pay off their college loans or to pay for their college tuition, I should say. And they're also working toward 12 weeks of paid parental leave 
by the end of the 10th year of this bill, because this is right now a 10-year bill. So I think federally, parents have six weeks right now, and they want to move to 12 weeks by the end of the 10th year, so a gradual system. Overall, on child care and education, we're looking at spending roughly $450 billion total just on these items. So for $450 billion over 10 years, or $45 billion per year, we're getting two extra years of education, a cap on how much you'll pay for child care, you're getting universal pre-K, you're getting free college tuition two years at the end, and the child tax credit. So we're looking at maybe $10,000 worth of savings for your average family just based on that, so for $45 billion. Again, I'm just spelling out what the benefits are. Think of what the personal value to you is or would be with these benefits. Don't think about costs. Think, hey, would my child benefit from two years of universal pre-K or college uh, after they finish high school? Would my family benefit from this child tax credit? Is that something that we need? Are we having? Are we struggling to pay the bills? Could we buy nicer things for our kids? Could they have better clothes? Could they have better technology? Could they have better resources for their schooling? Think about the value. We'll get to price later, but right now, let's just think about the ideas. So next, I want to move on to the medical aspect of this bill. Now, we might get through this medical section a little more quickly, but that doesn't mean that its impact is not very large. So let's go through what this bill does in regard to medical and healthcare. Number one, the Medicare program in America will now include dental, vision, and hearing, which it currently does not. I believe you need to get supplemental insurance to cover those things. Now that will automatically be covered for our seniors. Further, the eligibility to enter Medicare would be reduced from 65 to 60, which means that more people could be eligible for Medicare sooner if they needed to be, rather than depend on maybe disability or other programs along those lines, or maybe nothing at all. The bill also aims to lower the prices of prescription drugs, and the main way it wants to do that is it wants to give the government the ability to negotiate drug prices with the drug companies, because right now, the government cannot negotiate drug prices with the drug companies, which means the drug companies get to dictate the price to Americans for what we pay, both federally and privately. If you went to go buy a car, and someone said, listen, you can either buy this car at the price we want to sell it to you, which is 25000 or you can choose to negotiate with us and maybe we can do better. You choose the negotiation. You choose to negotiate. So negotiation is a good thing. A lot of people are saying, oh, well, I won't be able to take the drug that I want to, or there'll be limits on what I can take, or they'll put me on the generic or, or whatever. We are a large population we are one of the wealthiest consumer bases in the world. And so if we are shifting, if we are negotiating, I don't think healthcare companies are going to lose out on a ton of profit by not selling their medication anywhere because we are one of the last countries, at least in the Western world, to have kind of socialized healthcare. So we're just a holdout. So they want to be able to negotiate drug prices. Further, we talked about the cap on childcare not exceeding 7%. And they want to do a similar thing here where you will not pay more than 8.5% of your total income on your healthcare premium, which again is huge. They're not just saying, hey, we're going to reduce the cost of healthcare. They're saying, 
you will not pay more than X amount, 8.5% for healthcare. So even if your healthcare is becoming more expensive, even if you're starting to pay a massive sum of money for your healthcare, the government will step in and say, can't go above 8.5%, that's your hard cap. So between healthcare and childcare, if you're a parent, you will not spend more than 15.5% of your total income on those two areas. They also want to invest in reducing maternal mortality rates and boosting maternal and prenatal health workforce. So they want to bring more medical medical workers in to help with maternal mortality. And further, they want to require Medicaid and CHIP, which is the Child Health Insurance Program, to cover full benefits from pregnancy through the first year after the child is born. Because despite all the money that we spend on drugs and on healthcare and on premiums, we rank 33rd out of 36 in the world in infant mortality rates. We're not good at having kids. Our system isn't good at having kids. We need to invest more money in it. This bill tries to lower the infant mortality rate to save infants' lives and mothers' lives. The American Rescue Plan added some subsidies to it, um, which basically expanded Medicare to an extent, and they want to carry over those subsidies and have something called the Medicaid uh, gap expansion in this bill. And that those two segments combined will insure more than 7 million uninsured, currently uninsured, Americans. And that's from the Commonwealth Fund and the Urban Institute. So even though line for line, there's not as much going on as there is with, you know, childcare and education. These are transformative programs. It's a lot of money being put into the government to make sure that we don't pay more than we should be paying, not only for drugs, but for our healthcare premiums, that we cannot pay more than a cap on our healthcare from our income to save us from, you know, going bankrupt. And it's also trying to address some major health care issues that we're lacking on. So we're lacking in education. They want to invest in education. We're lacking in the medical area worldwide. We want to step up our game and compete with the rest of the world when it comes to medication and healthcare. Next up, we have everybody's favorite apocalyptic discussion, which is climate change. This bill looks to do a lot when it comes to climate change and preventing climate disaster and the end of the world, maybe, hopefully, we'll see, depending on us. So, what is the bill going to do on climate? The bill looks to spend $3 billion to create something called the Civilian Climate Corps, and another $500 million to do something similar on tribal lands. The people in these programs would work on conservations and in forest management, controlling things like wildfires. Republicans have said that these jobs aren't needed because private employers are looking for employees. And I want to know why a little bit, why it's more important for private companies to have employees than for the federal government to have employees when this work is clearly important in combating climate change, taking care of forest management, helping to prevent wildfires. It doesn't make sense. Uh, As far as we're concerned, jobs are jobs are jobs. If people are getting paid and people can support their families, who cares whether they're public or private? Jobs are jobs. Moving on, a key element in this climate provision is a $150 billion Clean Electricity Performance Program, or CEPP, that would pay utilities, 
utility companies, to switch from greenhouse gas-emitting electric sources, such as coal and natural gas, to non-emitting sources such as wind and solar and hydropower and nuclear. So basically, the government's telling utility companies, hey, if you guys stop using fossil fuels, if you cut down on fossil fuels, we will literally pay you money to do it and grow our green infrastructure. A report from the groups Evergreen Action and the Natural Resources Defense Council said that CEPP will create 7.7 million jobs between now and 2031. The analysis further determined that it would add more than $907 billion to the economy and that federal, state, and local governments would see more than $154 billion in additional tax revenue. So not only is the program going to provide jobs, it's also going to grow the economy and increase tax revenue. Part of that is in the form of royalties that will be paid by oil and gas companies to work on public lands. That royalty fee would go up from 12.5% to what it is now to 20%. So if you're an oil company, you're a natural resource company, and you want to drill work on public lands, public lands we're talking here, and public waters, the royalty rates would go from 12.5% to 20%. Government makes money. Money for the government is good. It means that we have more money to pay for things like this and pay down our debt. If you could have an increase in salary, you would take it. Let's increase our salary. That's what the government's doing. The program also reestablishes the government leasing program for offshore areas for wind, which will also bring in revenue while also promoting wind energy and creating wind jobs. So pretty important. A lot of stuff there. Money for the economy, jobs, save the planet. Great. I, I do want to note that there's also a lot of climate stuff in the infrastructure bill to create climate resilient infrastructure so you know new infrastructure roads bridges things like that that can stand up to natural disaster and you know withstand the time when it comes to climate change and the effects uh so that's why I, that's not here another major area for climate provision and for you know emission reduction is with automobiles and cars of course so they're bringing back tax credits for electric vehicles they want to give a $7,500 tax credit for buying electric. And this would not apply, by the way, to vehicles over $56,000 because they don't want rich people to be utilizing the tax credit to get luxury vehicles. So if you buy an electric vehicle and you're not spending over $56,000, you get $7,500 back. Pretty cool. And they're also considering an additional tax credit of $5,000 if the car you purchase is American-made or is created by union workers. So you could be saving up to close to $13,000 on an electric vehicle just because you're purchasing an American electric vehicle. And by the way, I'm not sure if everyone knows this, but GM came out and announced that they plan to be all electric by 2035. So in less than 15 years, all the cars that General Motors will be making are electric. The combust combustion engine is, is going out the window for GM all electric by 2035. They're investing $25 billion to do that. And they said that we'll have 30 new electric models by 2025. So it's really ambitious. Ford has also made a pledge to go green, so to speak. They say they will be 40% electric by 2030. They're investing $22 billion in total in electrifying their fleet by 2025 or through 2025. And also... 
they just recently announced that they're investing $11 billion in a new battery plant, which will create 11,000 jobs. And in a speech today, I think Joe Biden said that China vastly outproduces us when it comes to battery technology. So here's Ford building a battery factory in America to employ Americans, 11,000 jobs for green vehicles. This is all good news, except for the electric Mustang. Don't do this, Ford. Don't do that. This is a Mustang. You made a lot of them this year. They're combustible engines. You know, your typical Mustang. We've seen them for decades. This is not a Mustang. Note that it looks nothing like the Mustang. Why are you trying to make your electric car into something it isn't? Clear distinction between the Mustang that you made this year and the electric Mustang that you made this year that looks nothing like the combustion engine Mustang that you made this year. Stop it. What the electric Mustang is, is a Mazda CX-3. It's a Mazda CX-3. You could have called it the Ford FX-3, which would have been fine. We would have liked it. it would, we would have appreciated it. Be original with the electric vehicles. We know they're electric. Stop trying to trick us. That's not a Mustang. Anyway, Sam Krasnow, the senior advocate at the Natural Resources Defense Council, says that this bill will get us to 80% clean by 2030 and on a path to 100% clean by 2035. So within 14 years, we're talking zero emission. Zero which is huge. It's the move that scientists and climate advocates have been telling us to do since Al Gore got on stage with his lockbox and said that, like, you need to, you know, beware climate change. And we had the inconvenient truth and everything else. That was a lifetime ago. We're finally maybe going to do something about it. Maybe with this bill. So to recap on climate. This bill is going to create nearly 8 million jobs over the next 10 years, which is 800,000 jobs per year. It's going to add $907 billion to the economy, and it's aiming to add another $154 billion to local and state economies, which is a lot of money. And further, we've got tons of tax credits when it comes to electric vehicles. $7,500 for the electric vehicle, maybe another $5,000 if it's American-made or union-made, and I know that they're bringing back incentives for solar power and solar energy at your home, which I didn't include here, but that's happening too. It's a bonus. So a lot going on with climate. So like I said with the other segments, think about how this might affect your family. If electric cars are coming anyway, because GM and Ford are going all electric very shortly, that means that your next car will probably be electric and there's some tax credits for you. Here's some money for you. They want to give you $12,500 toward your next car, which will probably be electric. That'll save you some money. That'll probably be good for you and your family. Great. You know, what about the climate disasters? Joe Biden said we spent $99 billion on climate disasters in America in the last 10 years. We've seen the wildfires, we've seen the hurricanes, the storms, the blizzards, lots of tornadoes everywhere, apparently, even though we never got tornadoes in the Northeast before. Here they are. Hooray. We're spending money because we're not doing anything about climate when we could spend money to prevent the disasters and actually save money that we could put back into the economy. So a lot going on with climate. Think about the benefit that these things have on you and your family. Don't worry about the cost. Finally, we can move on to the money part and talk about taxes a little bit. 
We made it, everybody. We made it to taxes. So yes, this bill does have tax provisions in it, and we can go through those here. Under this bill, and as a way to pay for most of the bill, the bill makes some of the following changes to the tax code. So number one, the corporate tax rate would rise from 21% to 26%. That's the corporate tax rate, 21%, up to 26%. And the top income tax rate for Americans making over $400,000 a year would increase from 37% to 39.6%. The top capital gains rate would also go from 20% to 25%. I just want to clarify here, the top income tax rate for Americans making over 400000 going from 37 to 39%, that's a marginal tax rate, which is a tiered system. So only the absolute most, the top end of the money that you make will be taxed at that rate. So I believe the money up through $400,000 will be taxed at a lower rate, and anything over that will be taxed at the 39.6%. It's a, it's a tiered step system. So when you hear that rate, don't think all the money gets taxed at that rate. That's not how the tax system works. I would like to point out that under President Obama, the top corporate tax rate was 35%. Now, we're only going from 21% to 26%. We're staying well below the Obama year corporate tax rate, 9% below, in fact. So this is nowhere near historical highs for corporate taxes, not even close, not even approaching it. We're not even back to Obama era, okay? So when we're thinking about the context, it's a slight increase in the corporate tax rate. Further, historically, the highest income tax margin, marginal rate, has been as high as 94% historically. And I talked about this in the podcast episode, which you can uh, click on up above here and go check out. You can hear my spiel about why the tax codes are all messed up and historically why we're in the lowest tax collecting period in history. And, and just as an example, that rate, that income tax rate, the top rate, from 1935 to 1965, that rate did not drop below 79%. So for over 30 years, the richest Americans were paying 79% taxes on their highest values of money. And we're not even close to that. So we shouldn't hear anybody complaining, right? Nobody. Anyway, the bill also wants to close the corporate loopholes that allow for large corporations to pay nothing in taxes. And in some cases, those companies actually profit off the government in the form of subsidies. So the government pays them money, and then the company does nothing. They don't pay the government any money in taxes whatsoever, and this costs the U.S. government billions and billions of dollars per year. Billions of dollars, by the way, that should go to assisting us, the people in the middle class. We pay our taxes, but the corporations aren't paying their taxes, and they're, they're not helping. They're not helping the middle class. They're not giving you know, a return on their investment. As a kind of final note here, I'd like to point out that the richest 1% of households saw their net worth rise $4 trillion in 2020 during the pandemic, meaning that of all new revenue, revenue they captured 35% of it. So 1% of Americans captured one-third of all the new revenue generated in the year 2020, and that 1% of Americans, 1%, made $4 trillion, which is more than this bill. 
the one, those one percent of Americans made more money in 2020 than the entirety of this bill is looking to spend over the next 10 years for everything that I talked about so far in this presentation. Just for context, just think about that. Think about that. The biggest thing about this, though, is that no household making under $400,000 a year, that's 98.2% of all Americans, so most Americans, or rather all Americans, for all intents and purposes, will not see their taxes go up. I won't, you won't, unless you're Bill Gates and you're watching this video, but you know, Bill Gates is for higher taxes, so hi Bill, how you doing? If you're making under $400,000 per year, your taxes will not go up. This is all going to be paid for through the corporate tax increase and the tax rate on the elite, who, again, made $4 trillion last year, which is more money than this entire bill over the next 10 years. 1% of Americans made more, enough money, new money, last year to pay for all of our everything for the next 10 years. Just a thought. So that's the tax situation. Now, we can get into cost. Finally. This is what you've seen in the news, and we can address it a little bit. The spending bill is a $3.5 trillion bill over 10 years, and I've just you know, described to you what we're going to be getting for it. So for $350 billion per year, you get everything that I've run through so far for $350 billion a year. Now, we spent about $3.4 trillion on COVID this year, just this year. Again, for context, so COVID this year, $3.4 trillion. Spending bill, if it were active right now, $350 billion, way down here. Barely noticeable. In fiscal year 21, we've also spent $1 trillion on the military. And we don't talk about the military budget in the same way that we talk about this budget reconciliation bill. But if we did, what we'd be hearing right now is Congress trying to pass the $10 trillion military bill probably closer to $15 trillion because it grows every year. So if we were talking about this bill being a military bill, we'd be saying, oh, well, you know, Congress is really having a battle over the $15 trillion military bill. And if we're flipping out about $3.5 trillion over 10, I think we do need to ask ourselves why we're not flipping out about $15 trillion over 10. It's not even in the public discourse. It's certainly not in the media. And it's not presented this way because presentation matters. So what we're talking about right now is the $350 billion per year Biden spending plan, also known as the Build Back Better Act. We spend about $350 billion per year right now on education. So for the same amount of money that we spend just on education every year and we have been spending, we get everything that we just talked about, plus more money for education. We only spend about $60 billion on climate each year, which is a mere 0.7% of our total spending. There's a really cool site linked below. It's usaspending.gov slash explorer, and it's all visual, and it shows you where all the money goes in the budget, like what departments get it, and then you can click on the department. It shows you the sub-departments, and I'm a visual person, so it's really helpful for me. So that's the usaspending.gov. You can find it in the sources below if you want to check out government spending as a whole, uh, because that's what this is about. This is about government spending. Uh, also, if you go to taxpolicycenter.org, Org, that's where I've got my historical data on these tax rates. So that's our taxes, and that's our total cost. Let's look into a little bit about the argument over this bill. 
just as a quick wrap up for people who haven't been paying attention to the news, we'll give a really quick rundown. I just want to touch on a couple of areas of debate before I wrap up. And this certainly is not even approaching all the areas of debate. But right now, the bill is not passing due to Senator Manchin and Senator Sinema, Democrats, not wanting to spend this much money and all of the Republicans wanting to vote no on everything you see here. Joe Manchin is arguing it's too expensive, but I just want to make a few notes. Joe Manchin, one of his arguments, say, on utilities is that, well, you know, utilities are already moving away from coal, so it doesn't make sense to pay companies to do what they're already doing. But they're not doing it fast enough, and scientists will tell you that they're not making those moves fast enough, so it makes sense to incentivize those companies to move away from coal. On the coal industry, and and this needs to be looked at, I think, because coal comes up, I think, too much in our federal election campaigns, based on what I'm about to say. In America, there's only about 40,400 coal jobs, okay? During the Trump presidency, coal production also dropped 25% total. There are more people employed in America as aircraft mechanics, roofers, telemarketers, fitness and aerobics trainers than there are people in the coal industry, okay? So, in fact, many individual companies employ more people than the entire coal industry employs in the United States. So, we're talking about a bill with this bill, the Build Back Better plan, that is looking to create 800,000 jobs per year. And the argument being used against it is we might use four, we might lose 40,000 jobs or 2.5% of the total jobs we could gain. So in any other situation, if someone said, well, you know, we can give you, you know, 97.5% increase in jobs. Um, I don't think I'm doing that math right. But anyway, hey, if you give up this many jobs, we'll give you 98% more jobs. You would do that. It just makes sense to do it. But right now, we're letting that very, very small percentage of workers in one industry be an argument to, uh, you know, against 800,000 jobs or more per year. So we need to think about when we're talking about the natural resources and the uh, the fossil fuel industries, how many people are actually employed by those industries? How big are those industries? Is it most Americans? I don't think so. Probably not. And certainly not coal. So just wanted to bring up those points as well. Um, there are certainly arguments against any provision here. And any person might have an issue with any one provision or any one section. I certainly have my opinions. But what I've tried to do with this video is to just lay out the benefits to all American people. And I tried not to interject too much of my own feelings. I did at some points, and I'm sorry for that. But I want to present the facts as they will benefit the middle class, the 98.2% of Americans who make less than $400,000 a year, i.e. all Americans, and anyone watching this video. Um, I just think that's important. So I hope that I've let you know something you didn't already know or maybe provided you some information where you're like, hey, that's interesting. Let me go look that up. Let me see how I feel about that. These bills should not only be about the way we see them politicized in the media. This is a $3.5 trillion bill, yes, but it's $3.5 trillion over 10 years, okay? I can say, well, for $100 billion every six months, we can have all these things. It's the same thing. It's just how you spin it. But what's really important is what is in the bill, what we're getting for it, what, the, what is the value for it, and this bill is transformative. 
To wrap up, we're going to expand the child tax credit. We're going to keep that, saving families thousands of dollars per year, universal pre-K, and free two years of college, first two years of college, for free, adding four years to public education with this. And we're putting a cap on child care at 7% of your total annual income. We're negotiating drug prices. Premiums are going to be capped at 8%, 8.5% of your total income. We have the expansion of Medicare. Medicare eligibility is going to be reduced to age 60. And we're going to have an expansion of the child health insurance program to protect mothers and children in their first year. On climate, those 800,000 jobs, the government is going to raise more revenue through their leasing programs and through their royalties. We're going to reduce emissions by 80% by 2020. And the motor industry is going electric anyway. So the government's going to provide us with between $7,500 and $12,000 in tax credits toward our next electric vehicle. Lots of money there, plus the solar incentives at home. On taxes, corporate tax is going up. Yep, 5%. Capital gains tax is going up. Yep, 5%. Top marginal income rate going up. Yep, 2.5%. But only for those making more than $400,000 per year Basically, no one, except all the people with all the money, which is basically no one, which is how it works, because they like remaining anonymous. So I hope you've enjoyed this video. I hope you've taken something out of this video, and I hope that we can start thinking about things like this in a human sense. How does this bill affect my family? This bill is very popular. Um, polls conducted in West Virginia had the tax ideas polling at 70% or above. The total bill was polling over 50% in West Virginia, and that's the state with a holdout senator. Uh, most Americans love this bill, love this bill. In some some places, it's like 80-90% positive on this bill. We get so much for so little. And, and I hope that that has been made clear. And even if you disagree with some of the things in the bill, maybe just admit like, hey, you know what? Three and a half trillion over 10 years is really nothing compared to what we spend on even the military. And the fact that all of this is even in this bill is ambitious and a little bit impressive, even if you disagree. So thank you for listening to this special episode of the New Deal podcast on the Build Back Better plan from Joe Biden. Please call your senator, call your representative, tell them pass this bill, pass the three and a half trillion. Tell them we spend 10 trillion, 15 trillion on the military over 10 years, so I'm good with three and a half trillion for us at home, the people who need it and the people who are struggling. Call your senators, call your representatives, help change the world, help make the world a better place. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day. New Deal out. <laughs>